King's kids, if you are in second grade on down, this is your chance to go to junior church. You ready, set, go. Boom, 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 boom. Are you too big now? Yeah, you are a lot too big. There's no little, there's nothing little about you. Uh, open your Bibles to Philippians. Going to read a passage of scripture that we're going to go across today. We have a lot of scripture in the sermon, uh, a lot of passages. I don't know. I told you to write it down. Five to thirteen. Yeah, yeah, five to thirteen. Because <laughs> <clears throat> I'm just doing it. It's like halfway in. So, okay. Philippians chapter two, verses five through thirteen. Mark Coleman, go okay. ahead. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who, being in the very nature, God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you and will to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. I like that. It is God who works in you. He works it into you. You work it out. He works in the change. You show evidence of the change. He works his spirit into you. You bear fruit. That's Christianity. We are not trying to bear fruit and earn heaven earned salvation we're not overcoming our sin jesus has overcome our sin jesus is the one who saves us he does all the heavy lifting and then we live by faith that doesn't mean our lives are going to be light free of suffering and pain quite the opposite jesus suffered a whole lot and you are his follower you're not going to suffer less to live with Christ is to know the power of his resurrection and to fellowship with him in his sufferings. Suffering in this world because the world is broken. Even if God fixes you, the world is still broken and you're going to feel a lot, of, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of sin. In this series, we are looking at the wisest way to live. It is a life of wisdom, and biblical wisdom is focused on knowing who God is. Who God is. Focused on knowing Him, and that's when we really change. We don't change just because we get a better understanding of ourselves. We change when we understand, when we understand who God is. That reality shapes the way we think and changes us changes the way we think we're not just thinking like the rest of the world anymore god wants us to think his thoughts god wants us to know his love god wants us to know his grace and he also wants us to know about his 
holiness. And his holiness shakes the pillars of heaven. His holiness causes the mountains to melt. His holiness can level a forest with one breath from his mouth. His holiness is fierce, awesome. We need to have a healthy and proper fear of that God. But not the wrong kind of fear that makes us withdraw. Remember this? The kind of fear that says, He is what I need. He is who I want to be with. And even if it seems daunting, we draw near because He tells us to. Why does God say, Be holy as I am holy? He wants us to experience the fullness, not just of His power, which can be scary, but of His character, which is love. So fear and love for God go together. Paul understands that. Today we are looking at the fear of the Lord in Paul. This is the Apostle Paul. His story is in the book of Acts. He persecutes the church. He is arresting Christians. He's the legal authority behind the stoning of the first martyr, Stephen. And he's on a rampage against this group of people who say they are following Jesus. Paul wants to shut them down. Jesus has something to say about that. He will not be shut down. He will not be stopped. And when you persecute Jesus' people, you are persecuting him. Paul learned some really important lessons. And in many places in his letters and in his testimony, Paul talks about the fear of the Lord. That's what we're going to look at today. It's Paul's perspective on the fear of the Lord. And it's not from the outside. He's not just teaching from something he learned in a book. He's teaching from personal experience. So this is the fear of the Lord in Paul. The first place I want to look is Acts chapter 9, the conversion of Paul. Acts chapter 9. In Acts 9, we get the story. He is previously, he's called Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Acts chapter 8, the title in my Bible says, Saul ravages the church. And then chapter 9 says the conversion of Saul. Spoiler alert. God's about to show up. So Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any people belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound or chained to Jerusalem. For trial and execution. Now, as Saul went on his way, he approached the city of Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He falls down, stunned, shocked, trembling, fearful, and his response is in verse 5. Who are you, Lord? 
Something about this presentation of truth and confrontation, the brightness, he understood it was a spiritual encounter, and he attributed it to God. But something's off because he thought he was doing the right thing for God. So he, he seems to instantly understand he's stopping me from doing what I think I should be doing. Do I have the wrong God? That's no small question for a Jew. Embracing Judaism, living for the Old Testament, following the law to the point that he's willing to murder people. This is, this is a big moment in his life, his conversion. Verse 5, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Paul's testimony is one of immediate, instantaneous conversion. Once he realizes Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, he had to know something about Jesus previous to this. He's probably heard the testimony of several people that he has arrested. And I know he's also heard the testimony of Stephen, whom he witnessed being murdered. He knew who Jesus claimed to be. He knew who the Christians claimed Jesus to be. So this is not what I'm going to call a simple conversion. It's very complicated. God's been working on this guy for a long time. When it comes right down to it, he falls to his knees, asks for a little bit of information, and all Jesus has to say is, it's me. Scared him straight and changes the course of human history Paul doesn't change human history Jesus does but he uses Paul because he uses people and he uses terrible people take heart you who know yourself you know the darkness that's in your own heart you know what you are capable of you know what you've done Nobody knows you better except God. And God says there's hope for you. No matter how lonely you are, no matter how depressed, no matter what you've done, the conversion of Paul tells all of us, when you acknowledge Jesus as Lord in your life, then things can happen. This is the fear of the Lord. And it's a good thing. It's a converting thing. Paul feared the law until he met Jesus, and it changed him. Conversion, salvation, it changes our desires, not just our mind. Changes the desires of our hearts, not just our good intentions. Doesn't just change our actions, it changes us so we can make meaningful choices in our actions. Conversion is deeply personal. That's what I see with the fear of the Lord confronting Paul. In Romans 3.18, right after the book of Acts, Paul's writing a letter to the church in Rome. 
the first three or four chapters, he spends a lot of words in this letter letting you know that everyone has sinned. Everyone is unrighteous. We're all unrighteous. How does Paul address human depravity? That means every part of us is spoiled. Doesn't mean we're as bad as we could be, but it means every part of us is corrupted. How does Paul address our human depravity, which pervades every era of human history? Paul says in Romans 3.18, here's a summary of it. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the easiest way, I think, to summarize sin. There's no fear of God. Which means the fear of God is a good thing. Paul says it. If the problem with the world is they don't fear God properly, then the solution is to fear God properly. This is why Paul talks about in his testimony in several different spots. I met Jesus, I fell to my knees, and I surrendered my life to him. And he, God, converted me, Saul. That's, that's the order of events. He wasn't looking for Jesus. Jesus found him. He didn't discover himself. Jesus revealed himself, and then he saw in the light of Jesus' presence who he really was, a dirty, rotten scumbag. And God saved him. That's kind of encouraging. I don't know anybody here committing the atrocities, the outward atrocities of the Apostle Paul. So there's hope for you. And even if inwardly you know yourself, and it frightens you what you are capable of, Jesus isn't frightened of you. You are here today to hear his word say, come, bring it all. Kneel, confess, and be better. There's no fear of God before their eyes. So here's a summary of the conversion of Paul, the next blank. Fearing the Lord set everything straight in his life. He was... <laughs> He was running around like a two-year-old in a candy store. It all looks pretty. It all looks nice. Grab, 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 take, take, take. Even eat it off the floor. Because that's what kids do. But when he grew up, he gained a taste for one thing. To know him, the power of his resurrection, and to fellowship with Jesus and his sufferings. This is why he's able to suffer so much later on in his life. He knows he's getting a taste of Jesus. Not just himself. He's getting a, a taste of what Jesus went through. Not just focused on his own misery, his own pain. So fearing the Lord properly sets everything straight for Paul. And his life changes so much, he goes from his own personal conversion to now he goes on a mission. We're calling that the next big idea, conversion of Jews. He sets out to win his fellow countrymen, his fellow Israelites. He wants conversion of the Jews to become his mission. He wants to teach them who Jesus really is. Acts 13, the conversion of the Jews. In Acts 13, we get his secret recipe. Here's what he does. Now, he did this in Damascus. This is, this is not a, a 
a routine that he developed later on in his life when he knew everything, <laughs> when he experienced more. He was saved in Damascus. He goes to the Jews and he tells them who Jesus really is. And that becomes his pattern. Chapter 13, verse 4. So then, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. He's got a traveling companion. When they, Paul and his cohorts, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God first in the synagogues of the Jews. This becomes his mode of operation. Wherever he goes, he first goes and finds his fellow countrymen who usually have a building dedicated to reading the law at least every Saturday, the Sabbath day. But if it was a bigger city, they probably had a reading every day of the week. So he shows up in town, he goes to the synagogue, he listens to them reading, and he starts explaining how whatever they're reading is about Jesus. He's out to convert them from Judaism to Christianity because he sees a distinction there. He goes to the synagogue. He uses the Old Testament to explain the lordship of Jesus. He starts churches in all of these cities or as many as he can. Sometimes there aren't enough believers to start a church. So sometimes the believers are from two or three regioning towns and they meet together. Later on in his ministry, he's writing letters back to those churches. Philippians chapter 2, our reading this morning, is one such letter. Philippians 2.12, listen to what Paul says to the Philippians. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out. That would be an important turn of phrase if you were Jewish, because all of their good works were outward. They're keeping the law, they're washing their hands, they're wearing special clothes, everything they eat, outward, outward, outward obedience to the law. If they were a good Jew, they're outwardly traveling to the temple two, three times a year, they're bringing their sacrifices. They're doing all of their religious stuff, and it's outward stuff. They're praying out loud, they're fasting publicly, they're letting everybody know they're a follower of Yahweh. It's a very public form of religion. Paul knows all about that. He was in the middle of it. And he knew his heart wasn't right. Work out your salvation. Not do the law and then you're right. Be right with Jesus Submit your heart and mind to him. Which, time out. That is a simple thing to say, but it is the hardest thing you will ever do. You could crawl on your knees to Mecca. You could lash your back for hours till blood is flowing and bone is exposed. And that is easier than yielding your heart to the Lordship of Jesus. Telling yourself no with your physical, emotional, sexual impulses. That's the heartbeat of Christianity. Telling yourself no. Not telling other people no. Not telling other, other people what they can or can't do. That's not the essence. It's telling Jesus 
I will do what you call me to do. Do we have rules and regulations and guidelines in the New Testament? Yes, we even have some laws Jesus lays down. But Jesus also knows it starts in the heart. Paul knows that. He knows that better than most. Does he have your heart? Or do you continue to do whatever you want? Do you think the thoughts that make you the happiest? And put everyone else down. That lift you up at the expense of other people. Or the Christian way of thinking. Do we lift up Jesus and then understand we can help other people get closer to him too. It's a change in thinking. Less thinking about self. And this is the, his, Paul's biggest problem. He was all inward in his Old Testament. And missed the point. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He tells that to every church not work for your salvation but work it out so here's a summary of his conversion of the jews fearing the lord places the law in its proper place fearing the lord places the law the old testament all the testimony all the regulations in their proper place which is this galatians teaches us all of the law is a schoolmaster to drive us to goad us to jesus that's what the law does. Tells us when we are wrong so that we go to Jesus to be right. We don't go to the law and get right with the law and then we're right with God. The law is God's word. It's good. It's true. We don't dismiss it. Thou shalt not lie, cheat, steal, covet. Honor your father and your mother. Honor, 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 honor. Keep God first. And we've broken all of those. But we don't get right with God by going back and trying to fix all of those things. We come to God and say, I need a clean slate. I've broken them all. I'm guilty. Forgive me. Adopt me. And teach me the family ways. Teach me to be like my heavenly father. Teach me to be like Jesus. Jesus, show me your heart. Show me your mind. And as we read this word, it shows us who God is. There's some great characters in this book. David, Solomon, well, maybe not so much. We've learned a lot about him lately. <laughs> but he teaches some good things. Samuel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Noah. All of these people have a fatal flaw. They're broken like we are, and they all need a Savior. Fearing the Lord places the law in its proper place. So, after Paul is converted, he goes on a mission to convert his countrymen, his physical brothers and sisters, Jews, Israelites, physical descendants of Abraham. But often he's rejected, he's kicked out of the synagogue, so here's his third aim of conversion. The conversion of the Gentiles. This is everybody on planet Earth who is not a physical descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're not Jewish. They're not Israelites. That's not their heritage or their race. Paul starts with the people he has the most in common with because man does he speak their language. Not just verbally, but religiously. He was saved out of what the Jews are in the middle of. But when he's rejected by them, he moves on 
to everybody else. That's us. That's me. In Acts 13, 46, we get a glimpse into his testimony. This is an early on when he's rejected. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly in the synagogue, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you in the synagogue, since you thrust it aside and you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us. Paul says, God has committed me to be a light to the Gentiles. What light is Paul shining? Himself? No. He's just telling people who Jesus is. That's missions. That's evangelism. That's testimony. He simply tells people who Jesus is. He was focused on his own people first, but he, tra he uh, transfers that responsibility unto the Gentiles. God-fearers became Christ followers. And even in them, fear became mixed with love as people understood the justice and the grace of God. And Jesus becomes the focal point of faith. Jesus becomes the focal point of our fear. Jesus becomes the focal point of our love. And those are not contradictory things. To fear God and to love Him is the same thing. Because if you get to know who He really is, it should make your knees quake. And if you get to understand how He feels about you, it makes your heart tremble with excitement and thankfulness that this awesome and holy God who could hold me accountable and snuff me out wants to give me grace and mercy. If you are breathing today, it is because God is not done with you yet and He wants to keep using you, blessing you for His use. A couple of passages I want to look at. First one is 2 Corinthians 7.1. 2 Corinthians 7.1. A very interesting statement. This was not a perfect church, the church in Corinth. Wow. Adulterous, immoral, rich, and very, very Gentile Greek. A lot of hang-ups. A lot of problems. And Paul says this to them, Make holiness perfect. In the fear of the Lord. That is a fascinating phrase. So he, he expects Christians to fear the Lord. That's the proper fear. Not the kind of fear where you withdraw, but the kind of fear where you enter in, you learn more. It should drive you personally to aim for holiness and aim for perfection. That doesn't mean he expects us to achieve perfection. Because you don't have to. You are in Christ and he's already perfect. So you're attaining closeness with Jesus. Make holiness perfect. Wow, this, this is a good catchphrase, term phrase, or motto for 2023. If you don't have a motto for this year, make holiness perfect. Pray that. God, help me to be holier, to live a more purified life. Purify my thoughts, my actions, my attitudes. 
Purify the way I am at work. Purify the, purify the way I, I treat my kids. I treat my grandkids. I treat my neighbors. Burn away everything that is useless, that is, that is hollow, that is unholy. Help me to speak words of wholesomeness and encouragement. Help Jesus to come off my lips more this year and out of my heart more this year. Not just outwardly, but put him in there so he comes out. I don't just want to just be a hypocrite and say things that are right and then go live wrong. I want to be right. Make holiness perfect in me so my life matters and my words matter in the fear of the lord because that's the beginning of wisdom you want a wiser life this year fear the lord more understand who he is more see his holiness more it'll make your knees shake but it'll make your heart flutter too because he invites you into that Paul knows that and he expects us to enter into God's holiness and to rest in Jesus's perfection. You can't be perfect, but you have a perfect God. He picks up the slack. Do your best and he'll pick up the slack. Give him your heart. Another passage is Ephesians 5, 21. The church in Ephesus. Now, this church has a different start and a different makeup than the church in Corinth. Paul has a really special relationship with the church in Ephesus because he lived there probably longer than he stayed at any other singular church. At least two and a half years. Got to know them, they got to know him. Got to teach them everything he could think of in those years. So he He's trained their elders. He's appointed their deacons. He's helped them. He's helped them. He's helped them. Really tight relationship with them. And he says, be subject to one another. Now, if I'd left that blank, or, or let's, have a, let's have a moment of confession. Is there anybody who, before we showed the answer to that slide, was tempted to write a word in there or actually wrote a word in there, had to cross it out or erase it. Is there anybody who tried to preempt me and outthink, outthink me on that one? Anybody trying to be sneaky? That is not the common phrase that we hear in everyday American Christianity. If I wanted to make that more palpable, softer, more feel-good for today's Christianity, what would be a more appropriate soft word to put in there? <laughs> Love. Because the world's definition of love is not that, but it should be. I wonder, did Paul do that on purpose? This church knew all about the love of Jesus, and he didn't need to tell them anymore. This church is going to send out pastors and missionaries. This is going to be a powerful church has a foothold in what we call today Turkey. And it's going to spread. It's going to be his home base. It's an awesome church. He doesn't need to tell them to love one another. They got that. He needs to remind them. We do everything. Because this is going back to his conversion. You remember his conversion? I don't think he ever forgets his own conversion. The fear of the Lord broke him in front of Jesus. Kept him on his knees working for Jesus his entire life. I think this is a good word for us. 
be subject, Graceway, to one another in the fear of Christ. Love him. Fear and love Jesus enough that you're not afraid to lay down your life for anybody else. You're not afraid to give when there's a need. You're not afraid to approach somebody who you know is hurting and help meet their need or pray with them. Even if you don't know them, even if you don't think they know you, when you have the proper fear of God in your life, you will learn to love other people. The fear of the Lord leads to love. Leads to love. How would I summarize Paul's mission to convert the Gentiles? Like this. Fearing the Lord leads to holiness and love. Holiness and love. A life of purity and inward, inward struggle, inward commitment, but also outward acts of love towards other people. Not just we love God and we're okay and we can go do this Christian thing by ourselves. <laughs> That's not what God plans for you. You need to experience Christ's love, be transformed, and then you can learn to love and forgive other people. That's the order he goes in. Conversion of Paul, conversion of the Jews, conversion of the Gentiles. Three big confirmations of previous truths that we've learned in this long series. Number one, there is a negative and positive fear of the Lord. The Bible talks about negative fear all the time. We're supposed to flee from it. We're supposed to run from it. We're not supposed to be afraid of this, not be afraid of that. But we are supposed to be afraid of God. Supposed to have a healthy fear of the Lord that leads us to worship Him, obey Him, love Him, and follow Him. So Paul confirms that in his writings, that there, is, there are two different aspects to fear. There's a negative one, and there's a positive one. Here's another truth. Number two. Fearing God is an essential part of faith in Christ. Paul expects your fear of the Lord to lead to holy living, good works, and unity with other believers. That's not new to Paul. He's not making this stuff up. He's just bringing it all together. When we get to the book of Proverbs, a life of wisdom, a life of fearing the Lord, it leads to generosity. It leads to helping the needy. And you don't have to do it because you love the needy. You do it because you're growing in grace and wisdom of God. You're learning to love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And the natural overflow is you become a generous person. January 1st, 2023, Perry Walker from this pulpit. When you understand God's grace, it helps you to be generous. That's a confirmation in the words of Paul. Fearing God is an essential part of faith in Christ. One more big confirmation through Paul. The fear of the Lord is equal to the fear of Christ. As Ephesians 5.21, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. At first I was like, oh, right, there it is. The fi finally we have a connection where fear of the Lord is the same as fearing Jesus properly, but even God had already said that way back in Psalm 2 kiss the son lest he be angry the second coming of Jesus and all of his might and power and majesty he's going to be so white it's going to be blinding it's going to be 
going to be frightening. Every knee is going to bow and confess that he is Lord. Some knees are going to bow out of fear that he's going to destroy them. Some knees are going to bow out of love and devotion. They want to approach the light. Others are going to shake their fists. They're going to confess he's Lord, but they're going to hate it for eternity. Eternal condemnation, eternal bliss. Everyone's going to fear the Lord eventually. Fear him the right way. Fear him and love him and get to know him. He's not out to make you scared. He's out to make you family. He's out to make you family. 1 John 4, 18. I typed it out in your bulletin. It looks like a contradiction. There is no fear in love. Craig, you keep talking about fear of the Lord, but the Bible says there is no fear in love. Circle the word fear there. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. Now circle the word punishment. And whoever fears, circle the word fears again, has not been perfected in love. Is this the, the positive fear of the Lord or is this the negative fear of the Lord that John's talking about? Yeah, the bad one. How do I know it's the bad one? It's the kind of fear, now draw a line between the top fear to the word punishment. It's the kind of fear that fears that God is going to crush them, punish them, hurt them, and God has ill intentions for them. That is not the fear of the Lord. That is being afraid of the Lord. Big difference. So John is agreeing with Paul. We don't live in that kind of fear and run away from God. God is love. God is light. And we draw near to Him. So this is not a contradiction. Holy fear and love will draw us nearer to God. I am in Christ. I am washed by His blood. I am sealed by His Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm not afraid of punishment. Therefore, this is not the fear of the Lord that John is talking about. It's a fear of punishment. That's not Christian fear. That's not holy fear. It's a fear of getting caught with your hand in the cookie jar. It's the fear of, I'm doing whatever I want and God's going to stop me. You should be afraid of that. But it should lead you to confess, not run away. Last blank. Summary. Tremble. Tremble at God's holiness. Understand His brightness, His purity, His goodness, and rejoice that He is good. Not just good, He's good towards you. He wants you to be forgiven. He wants you to repent. He wants you to identify with Jesus in baptism. He wants you to partake in communion, fellowship, and the blood and the body of Christ. He wants you to participate in Jesus' resurrection. He wants you to have eternal life. He wants you to experience Him. He wants you to experience the fullness of who he is, not live in the emptiness 
of fear of punishment. Don't leave today afraid that God is out to get you. Even you Christians, you're hiding something, you're burying something, you owe someone an apology, you need to fix something. God wants us to make things right and stop living with any kind of the negative fear in our lives. He wants us to fear Him and set everything in order because that's what God's people do. We make holiness perfect in the fear of the Lord and in the fear of Christ. And we become a different kind of people. Stand with me. That's what we pray for this morning. That's what we hope for this entire year. That God would teach us to tremble at His holiness, but rejoice at His goodness. He is out to help you, not get you. He's out to lift you up, not squish you. Do what is right. Give Him your heart. And that is the hardest thing you can ever do. Bow your head. Close your eyes. With every head bowed and eye closed, think deeply for just a second and ask God to search your heart. God, is there any wicked way within me? Is there anything I've been putting ahead of you? Is there anything I've been giving more attention to, more thought to than you? Is there anyone I've been thinking ill thoughts towards? Is there anyone I've been hoping would suffer? Is there anyone that has wronged me that I just won't let go of? God, show me my own problems first. Help me to remove the beam in my own eye. Help me see my heart in the desperate state that it is. And God, I bring that broken heart to your feet. I can't fix myself. And nobody else can help me, but you can. God, as a church, we bring our lives to you. Our plans, our agendas, our budget, our thoughts, our ministry, everything. And we lay them before you this morning and say, grow what you want to grow and cut off and prune what needs to be pruned. We do not want to grow in the wrong direction, God. Help us be perfect in holy fear. We don't want to miss your, your very best for us. We could do a lot of good things and miss your very best and get so busy living life that we miss Jesus. God, help us to slow down. For our young mothers and fathers, give them perspective on this window of life that this season won't last forever. To our parents of teenagers, help them understand that this season of life will not last forever. To those who have loved ones that are running the wrong way, living for themselves, help us to love and forgive them in ways that show them you are God, that you're our God. 
for our senior saints. Help them to realize they still have more to give. You're not done with any of us yet. And certainly not them. We tremble and we rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen. What love could remember no wrongs we have done? Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is would wait as we constantly roam what father so tender is calling us home he welcomes the weakest the vilest the poor our sins they are many his mercy is more praise the of kindness he lavished on us his blood was the payment his life was the cost we stood beneath the dead we could never afford our sins they are many his mercy is more praise the Drop your survey or your service sheet, how you want to serve in this next new year. Drop it off in the offering plate as you, as you go. We really value your input on this next year. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May his grace shine upon you. May it cause you to fear and tremble at his feet and do what is right. From the heart to your hands, in Jesus' name. God bless you. Amen.